Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, good morning, Missio Day. Uh, our scripture reading for today's message comes from Exodus chapter one. Exodus chapter one, if you, if you uh, wanna follow along on the screen, you can. And uh, the first few verses are setting up the context of how Israel has become a nation from the lineage of Jacob and Joseph. And it talks about all the names of all the tribes. I'm gonna spare you from all those pronunciations. But then it says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies fighting against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the field. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. And the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, well, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and, and give birth before the midwives arrived. And so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. The word of the Lord, the Lord let's pray. God, I pray that you would uh, refine us this morning, that you would teach us through the power of your word, that you would uh, speak for your servants are listening today. And may you, uh, by your spirit, shape us form our hearts, our minds, our will, our actions to be aligned with your kingdom. I pray that, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. If there's anything I say today that is not from you, may it fall to the side, but may your word last in our hearts. Um, and so God, do what you want to do in this time. We submit and seal this with your spirit. We ask that your spirit would, would go forth through this attempt of ministering through videos, we gather online. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the question is being asked today, 
as it was years ago, that what do we need to handle this particular moment that we are in? We are in a series called Kingdom Citizens, and we are looking at how do we become citizens of the kingdom as we are both citizens on earth. And it seems as we look around America that there is a fray in the fabric of American society, that we, it feels more than ever that we are more divided, uh, that we are a nation in crisis, that we are a nation filled with chaos. And it's in this moment that we have to ask, how do we as Christians enter in? How do we engage and stay faithful to our King Jesus? So today we are talking about this idea of biblical resistance. Biblical resistance. Now that's not a word we say often or even teach about. I've never heard a sermon on resistance per se. And I wanna first just define what I'm talking about. Resistance, first of all, is obviously we know what resistance is. It's pushing against something. It's um, opposing a force, right? But before we talk about opposing, we must, biblical resistance, whereas often secular resistance is all about opposing for opposing sake. Biblical resistance is about a first agreement. It's agreement with God about who he says we are and who he says our world is. Not only is it about agreement, biblical resistance is then therefore, because we agree with this way, because we are aligned with God's way, we say no, and we will not normalize sin in society. We will not normalize sin in our own lives, right? Like even the signature quality of being a Christian is to be a resistor, to resist the dangers from within that sabotage ourselves, right? Our own ego, our own, our own sinful flesh that gets in the way. Resistors are repenters. That's kind of the, the picture that, that even as the Christian life, we know what resistance is but we often don't take it to the societal level. So resistance in a biblical resistance way in society is opposing any law that violates the will of God, that we as Christians would oppose and press against in a nonviolent way, any law that opposes the will of God. And we are in the midst now of a time of pain and confusion and difficulty. And that pain and conflict is now reaching the doors and the ears of so many our very presence of this country was founded on just this crisis that we had to, in the beginning, cast away scripture and contort scripture to dehumanize the very people that we rubbed up against when we sailed to these shores. And so, the, so, so I wanna talk a little bit about cultural Christianity cultural Christianity first and foremost, because in a sense, this dangers of cultural Christianity that goes to the oldest rebellion of time, that is to conform God into our own image, right? So as we read the scriptures, if we are never convicted, if we are never disrupted or felt resisted against by the Holy Spirit, it's possible that we've conformed Jesus into an image of our own liking, into our own thinking, right? And so what are these dangers? The dangers is imagine a Christianity that is so much filled with the shifts of culture that it no longer holds to the scandalous teachings in the life of Jesus. Imagine a Christianity that, that not only is, is skewed, but is obsessed with power, influence, right? And position and platform without the countercultural commitment of Jesus. 
this kind of commitment to empire rather than the kingdom of God. And we see this, like, how else could we explain what happened in Nazi Germany? Some historians report that 94% of the nation of Germany professed Christianity as their faith. So how could there be such dissonance except to acknowledge the ills and poisons of cultural Christianity? How else could we explain why so many professed to be Christians then yet chose to be seduced by the propaganda of Hitler? Not, not only there, but look, look at our country. We, at the very beginning, some biblical Christians confronted Southern slave owners and said, you know, Galatians says neither Jew nor Gentile, neither Greek Uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, uh, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, all are the same in Christ. And they had a Southern Baptist convention, had a meeting with these questions that were raised and some became Baptist abolitionists, but others said, you know what? We're gonna, those people don't have souls and therefore we do not have to set them free and they are not bound by the scriptures the way those of European consent are bound. They had to contort themselves theologically, which brings me to the moment of our talk is how do we release the power sown in the fabric of our souls to be about the kingdom of God when there's so much in society that is against that kingdom? How do we resist evil? How do we become biblical resistors and tap into the power that God has given each of us that sometimes lays dormant from those feelings of lack, I can't, I can't. I couldn't, I feel insufficient, negativity. How do we overcome these feelings of pessimism and cynicism? Well, the word of God gives us some great tools to deepen our relationship in this beautiful story of these Hebrew midwives in Egypt. Now, I gotta confess, I've never heard a message on this, but I have been enamored by this beautiful passage of these Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Oh my goodness, like, please sit in this passage this week, like meditate on this passage this week, because I believe that these women felt the lie that they were less than and were told to bow down to the empire of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the one who believed he was greater than anyone, the greatest king of all, erected big, huge idols for everyone to bow down to and made everyone serve his narrative to meet the brick quota. He had to enslave Israelites and was fearful. He says, I was fearful as I forced them into, I had to force them into slavery because they were getting too numerous. This is the context of fear, a context of of a sense of ethnic cleansing that was happening. Um, And and so he forced them into people and into, into slavery. And he was fearful that they would liberate themselves, God forbid, right? That they would actually be free. But a people who once knew freedom were now under the control of a foreign unethical power. This is the story about two Hebrew women who have biblical resistance and prophetic resistance in the face of unethical leadership. Let me say that again. This is a story about biblical resistance in the face of unethical leadership. Pharaoh with his fragile ego needed to hear the cheers of others of how how great he is. He's got these idols that we talked about. And we, we know that if you, I just can imagine these women who, who had this lineage of the Hebrew faith, had, had heard stories of, of their, their ancestors and what they did to overcome obstacles and press into faith with their God. Now under the framework of this religious empire, this, this uh, religious nation state area of Pharaoh's Egypt, which basically told the narrative that, look, this, 
this, we make bricks, like the society works, like of course their God must be real, the gods of Egypt, right? They do things for us, they bless us, they give us these things. And I can imagine they were under this framework that they had to have such a strong anchor, such strong ritual practice and faith and endurance and resistance to reduce, resist the Pharaoh spirit, to resist that narrative. And these biblical pictures of these women is amazing because the author names these two women, Shifra and Pua, who tells us what to do when tempted when we are in crisis. But notice the author omits the names of Pharaoh and these two God-fearing Hebrew midwives. I love it. He says, I wanna record their names as an example. But God doesn't really care much about king who should not be named Pharaoh. He's intimately concerned with Shifra and Pua for they trust God and fear him and obey. So we've gotta be careful about the idols we bow down to. The empire wants us to conform slowly and compromise what we hold dear in our faith till one day you, you, you will say, I believe this. And the next day you slowly move over and compromise. And then the next day, slowly move over and compromise, slowly move over and compromise, slowly move over and compromise until you are no longer in the frame. And God is pushing us, calling us to, to, to be aware of these things. I love this passage that it says that the midwives say, when they're, he says, why did you let them give birth? Why did you defy and, and disobey my command to kill every first male? And the midwife says, well, the, the women are far more vigorous than the Egyptian women. They get there before we can help them and, and support them emotionally and physically and medically. And do you see the juxtaposition? Pharaoh was vengeful and violent, but the Hebrew women were vigorous. And it's the same vigor. I think it's amazing because this, these Hebrew midwives and their vigorous prophetic hope for the world, for their people, they were the first ones in scripture to resist unethical leadership. It's amazing. We think of Moses often, we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The fiery furnace, like King Nebuchadnezzar, you can burn us up and our God will save us. And if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow down. All of these great, amazing stories. We need some more memes and, 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 and social media posts of Shifra and Pua. These women were the first to show this kind of resistance. And what the story shows us is faith in the labor pains, faith in the furnace, that they said, you know what, Pharaoh, you can, you can destroy us all you want to. You can tell us to kill, but we will not. And we will not come back with knives. We will come back with nonviolent resistance. We will creatively energize our people to see there's a new way, a new way forward. And so you see, they had faith in the middle of the delivery room. They had faith in the pain. You know, sometimes we, we want the mountaintop experience in the Christian faith, the 10 out of 10 moment where we feel so alive. And it lasts usually a couple of hours or minutes. And, and these mountaintops are amazing. And we, some of us have only a mountaintop faith, only when things are going well, but we don't wanna travel to the valley. You see, mountaintops are good for, for viewing. They're good for viewing, vision for what's ahead. But for traveling, you need valleys. Mountaintops are good for vision, but you have to travel in the valley 
That's for traveling. And if we're gonna get close to God in this season, we can't be mountaintop people of faith. We have to be people who have faith in the valley, who say that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, O God. That we would travel in this this anchoring ourselves in the waiting of the delivery room of hope so that we may be transformed. And when you shift from what God does for me on the mountain to the moment where you learn to trust God, regardless if God pulls you out of the dark or leaves you in the dark, you can deepen your relationship with God who you know turns the light on in the dark and is with, with you in the dark. That's when we will be transformed. When you say, I'm willing to trust God in the valley. I'm willing to trust God in the storm. I'm willing to trust God in the waiting room until this future comes to fruition. In the pains of birth, I'm gonna wait for the intimacy moment. And so our faith is not about what God can do for us, but how can I be a blessing? How can my speech, my actions, allow someone to encounter, you know, the greatest sermon is not in a pulpit. The greatest sermon is you living your life out in your context. You are the greatest sermon that this world will ever see, especially in moments of crisis. So what kind of faith does the biblical resistance create? Well, let's look at these two characters. First of all, Shifra and Pua had a moral compass. They, they said that they feared God. We have to have godly character. We have to have such like this um, moral compass that tells us that we are true and we will not sway to the left or right no matter our context, that we won't shift and change, that of course we're gonna change and grow and be transformed, but there's gonna be some things that are constant. And the thing that was constant in, in Shifra and Pua's wife, life was, was we fear God. We love Elohim. We are committed to Jehovah. We are going to worship God. And you know, I've been thinking about this, that this kind of commitment is so radical and so foreign. I think in our context as, as Chicagoans. Um, I think an example of this that I've been meditating on is, you know, it's becoming growingly popular for many Christians, I think, to a subculture within Christianity as a family to say, you know what, we're, we're gonna go to church and we're gonna raise our children to, um, we're not gonna like press Christianity upon them, but we just wanna teach them to think and choose faith for themselves and decide what they wanna believe. Now, I can respect that. I get that. I get the uh, autonomy of that. Um, there's some value to some of that. But then at the same time, we don't see anyone saying, you know, I want to raise my kids just to think. I want to make, let them think and decide whether they want to choose to stay American or not. And we want to really help them discern, do you want to be American or do you not want to be American? We don't have that. And I think that shows something, the subconscious force that is constantly pressing upon us uh, to 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 first get our citizenship in this earth rather than seeing our citizenship is in God's kingdom and those ethics and that way of life is what should be guiding us. We should have a moral compass, not only a moral compass, but we need to have courage in the mundane. We need to have courage in the mundane. It's not enough just to have a moral compass. We have to have courage in the mundane things of life. I say the mundane because uh, I, I wanted to share amazing stories of, of people of courage. I think of John Lewis, right? Who, who was uh, raised in segregated Alabama, arrested 40 times, willing to be beaten and 
ultimately die, not knowing when he would die, but believed in this as like, as a result of my commitment for Christ, I'm willing to be, uh, to, to, to give my life. And I love what he says, that we're willing to get in good trouble. Now, those are heroic stories. But there's the, the reality is, is most of us aren't going to be John Lewis. Most of us are going to be in our nine to five, raising our family, in our context, simple lives, changing diapers, uh, walking dogs, uh, talking to neighbors, uh, speaking to our baristas, working in our workplace. You know, that's, that's, that's just life. The mundane, 90% of life is in the mundane. And I love that Shifra and Pua were just doing their jobs in a holy way. They weren't trained in prophetic ministry. They weren't trained in, in activism. They knew that they must do their everyday job in a holy way. I love that, that your vocation is an opportunity to show this kind of character and courage in the mundane. And we don't vote and engage politically just because it always works. Like, go out and vote, go out and be engaged, not because it's gonna actually like make a difference always, it, hopefully it does, but because it's the right thing to do, right? Like, I love the, the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because that really is efficient in society. No, because you will be called sons of God. In other words, be a peacemaker because that's a picture of who God is. Turning the other cheek is a very inefficient solution and strategy for, for change. He's saying turning the other cheek, though, shows the world what our God is like, who is gracious to those who are selfish and violent, that God is gracious to his enemies. Reconciling with neighbors, not because we feel so much better because of reconciliation, it's because that's what God is doing in the world. So we must deal with the labor pains before us by the pharaohs of the world. And, and, And so this moral courage, I love this, that these women, they created this newness and a radical innovation, really, that can't, it, it can hardly be overstated. It is clear that this kind of holy defiance to a king cannot be found anywhere earlier in the scriptures, that this prophecy is born in this precise moment when the emergence of this new social reality happens, it begins to give Pharaoh's daughter an imagination that I'm gonna rescue this baby out of the Nile River and save this boy and I'm gonna name him Moses that it creates an alternative community for the Israelites and people become grafted into that new way, not a politic of oppression and triumphalism, but a politic of justice and compassion. And a politic, not just of justice and compassion, right? Our world has that, but a politic of just compassion that says, there's also a God that is free. And this God that we live is free for us to worship. And so we have to have moral courage. And what is that resistance gonna look like? It may look like Jesus's ultimate sacrifice, right? It may cost us. Whereas secular resistance says, I'm gonna make you pay. Biblical resistance says, I'm gonna pay. It's gonna cost me something because it costs Jesus everything. And that's the way we press into courage. But it's not enough to have courage. We must, something else has have to happen to deal with this as a nation in crisis. It's not enough to have just a a, a moral compass. It's not enough to have courage in the mundane. We need a a prophetic imagination. I love Walter Brueggemann's book called Prophetic Imagination that, that talks about this. But we need, these women saw a future. And I love their role as midwives. They are able to, you know, a midwife is able to take a mom in pain 
who's focusing on the pain so she can get through the birth and, and deliver this child. But she can't focus on the outcome. But the midwife can see the hope and they come around emotionally, physically supporting the mom to help the person in chaos and conflict and pain get to the future of skin to skin contact intimacy with their child. And they had an imagination for what could be. And I love this picture that that is what we are to be as Christians. We are to deliver, uh, to be a midwife of hope. We are to midwife hope and peace into a world of chaos and disillusion. We are to be ones who come alongside people in pain, come alongside people in brokenness, confusion, wrong narratives and say, let me take you there. Let me take you to another world. Let me take you to an alternative reality. This beautiful picture. Monsieur Day, may we be midwives of hope in Chicago. May we midwife peace into the world. May we be people who come along others in the midst of their difficulty and confusion and say, let me walk with you through the fiery furnace. Let me wait with you in the delivery room of your pain, of your suffering, as you wait to hear the prognosis of the doctor office. Let me sit with you and let's see God distribute hope, right? Secular resistance is about shaming the evildoers. Biblical resistance says we are resisting because we have hope that you can be transformed. We have hope that you can be transformed. And so these Hebrew wives, their campaign launches in an alternative community because of their imagination. And we must bring new realities into the world that are, that are more visible ones than the old order that we can, came from. We need to create new businesses in which we do that. We need to have a, a sense that we can imagine what others cannot. And we must be midwives of hope to the world to help a world in crisis see what they cannot. I just wanna close with a story about this cellist in Sarajevo. I've shared this in Lincoln Square, but I feel like it would be great for us all to hear this beautiful picture of, of resistance and hope. This cellist of Sarajevo, his name was uh, Smelovich. Smelovich was an incredibly musician a, a, a world-renowned cellist. And Sarajevo was under siege. Bombs were going off all over, and there was rubble across Sarajevo back in 1992. And in May 26, 1992, Smelovich was rehearsing, right, practicing in his room. And in his room, while he practiced, a bomb went off right outside his building. Smelovich was shaken. Uh, disrupted, disturbed, didn't know what to do, shaken, seeing not only did the bomb go off, but it destroyed 22 people's lives who died. The next day, Smelovich decided to uh, do something creative, disruptive. He got on his best suit, his, his, his tuxedo, dressed up in his tails, walked outside the room in the middle of the rubble, and he began to play this piece of music, beautiful piece of music. Some of you, uh, hopefully, it's working where you can hear it right now. I wanted you to hear it. It's known as Adagio in G minor. And for the next 22 days, every day at 4 p.m., Smelovich went into the midst of the rubble, sat down and played Adagio in G minor. He took out his cello to the streets, kept playing, and he wanted to honor the lives of these 22 people. And it was an act of defiance, an act of beautiful resistance. It was 
amidst of giving hope, stirring longing for the people in the community. Everyone was coming out to listen to the music and the music, they are like, this world we're living in, we're fearful for our lives. We are in chaos, we are in crisis, but this music feels and sounds like it's coming from another world. It sounds like it's coming from somewhere else and another country, another land, and I wanna go to that country. I wanna go to that land. I wanna go to that place of hope that I'm hearing. Not only do I wanna go there, but I want that hope to come here. I want that hope to live right where I am more than anything. No more pain, no more crying. And the people of Sarajevo felt, I need this hope in my life. Monsieur Day, this is the picture of what we are to do to be midwives of hope, creatively giving hope in the midst of the rubble. To be living in the rubble, but to say, I'm gonna be an active, defiant hope and paint a beautiful picture of what it means to be a kingdom of, uh, to be a citizen of the kingdom, to be a citizen of King Jesus who rules and reigns in my life and who is good so that I could have a picture of moral courage, courage in the mundane, a moral compass, and a prophetic imagination so that we can be the children of God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. Monsieur Day, may he be good to you all the days of your life. And may you have courage today. May you have courage to let the character that is there shine. And may you be willing to imagine a whole new world for your reality. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would move in our midst. Uh, we submit to you. And um, we know in this season that things are difficult, that politically it's chaotic. But may we not buy into the lies of cultural Christianity. May we be a people who resist evil and oppose evil so that we are not overcome, but that we have a compass that keeps us true. And we have a courage that acts out of that character so we can imagine good for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.